What do you think of when you hear the word kingdom? For the longest time, I thought of the magic kingdom, Disney World. I mean, people go there to celebrate anniversaries, birthdays, milestone events. People go there to propose. Jeremy proposed to Sarah there. The magic kingdom is supposed to be a place where dreams really do come true. Maybe that's why that peop maybe that's why people are always going to this Let's try this again. Yeah, that's okay. We can cut it out. Mm. <clears throat> Take 2. What do you think of when you hear the word kingdom? For the longest time, I thought of the Magic Kingdom, you know, Disney World. People go there to celebrate anniversaries. They go there to celebrate birthdays and milestone events. People go there to propose. Jeremy proposed to Sarah there. People go there because they won the Super Bowl. I'm going to Disney World. The Magic Kingdom is supposed to be a place where dreams really do come true, but not for me. We traveled to Disney World for my brother-in-law's wedding one year, and I will admit the memory is seared into my consciousness. When we got on the plane and the plane pushed off from the gate, Jillian, who was a preschooler, maybe kindergartner, who was sitting next to me at the time, immediately began puking all over the seat in front of her, all over the floor, all over her, all over me. I begged the stewardess, please, please, we have to get off the plane. But she said, sir, I'm sorry, we've already pushed off from the gate. We're committed now. So for the two hours it took to fly from Lexington to Florida, Jillian heaved and heaved and heaved. We got our luggage. We got to the Disney Resort. We got the kids situated in bed. We cleaned ourselves up as best we could. It was like three in the morning. I closed my eyes and I thought to myself, I can do this. We can do this. We can do this. And then John stood up in his bed and I heard him say, Daddy, Bleh. Puked everywhere, and I could hear it splattering on the, the Disney comforter. Oh, golly. Jenny puked the next day, and I puked the day of the wedding. For me, it was not a place where dreams come true. Is the kingdom a place? Or when you think of kingdom, do you think of a kingdom as having people like the United Kingdom, you know, Great Britain, England? God save our gracious queen, long live our noble queen, God save the queen, you know, Britain in the 1800s, Britain, Great Britain, 
where the sun never set on the British Empire. Posh, posh, posh with a capital P. You know, sometimes when people think of a kingdom, they think of a people like the British people. Today, I want to clarify something very important about the kingdom of God, the one you read about in the Bible, and the one that both John the Baptist and Jesus proclaimed was near. The kingdom of God is not a place, and it is not a people. In Matthew chapter 3, we're told this, in those days... John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In the New Testament, in the Gospels, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are the same thing. So when John the Baptist says it's near, the kingdom is near, He's saying it's about to arrive. How on earth could he be saying that the place, the parcel of land that was called Israel is about to arrive? Or that the people, the Jews who are waiting for their messianic king were about to arrive. The place and the people were already there. So what's at hand? What's about to happen? What's near? What's about to arrive? John the Baptist must mean something else. This is why George Eldon Ladd in his Theology of the New Testament says, the primary meaning of kingdom is the rank, rule, or authority exercised by a king. It's the authority to rule. It's why Jesus tells us about a man who went away to be crowned king. Luke chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. The crowd was listening to everything Jesus said, and because he was nearing Jerusalem, he told them a story to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Jesus said, A nobleman was called away to a distant empire to be crowned king and then return. So when John the Baptist, and yes, even Jesus, say that the kingdom of God is near, they're claiming that God's rule is about to arrive. The land and the people were already there. Why did the nobleman leave? In Jesus' account, he left to obtain authority. He left to obtain the right to rule. I want to camp out today in Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And in Luke chapter 3, we're told about the ministry of John the Baptist. Luke actually tells us more about John's preaching and what transpired than any of the other gospel writers. So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, 
a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. A certain type of heart is needed to respond to the gospel, to respond to the arrival of the king, King Jesus. So John the Baptist is preaching a message of repentance to prepare the hearts of people for their king so that they respond to the messianic king with obedience and allegiance. And John's ministry is a fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3, verse 4, Isaiah had spoken of John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled, and the mountains and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened, and the rough places made smooth. Then all the people will see the salvation sent from God. John is that messenger. But he's also Elijah. In Malachi chapter 4, the very last prophecy in the Old Testament, we're told this, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So, this forerunner of the king, this person who's going to prepare the hearts of people to be ready for the arrival of their king is on the scene in John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is unimpressed by what he sees. He doesn't see evidence of repentance. He doesn't see what the Bible calls the fruit of repentance. Listen to verses seven through nine. When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, Oh, we're safe. We're to the descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. It isn't enough to be an ethnic Jew. It isn't enough to be on God's team, Team Israel. It isn't enough to claim Abraham as your father. The people coming to John the Baptist don't impress him in the least. They lack evidence of repentant hearts. And John the Baptist's condemnation of them is so shocking, the crowd asks in verse 10, what should we do? John the Baptist is just said of Pharisees who had come to the Jordan River, your righteousness, your goodness isn't good enough. And so the rest of the crowd who realize we don't even come close to those turkeys, if they're in trouble, man, we are so smoke. What should we 
do. Now, often in Christian circles, we're told that the Greek word for repentance means to change one's mind. And, and that's true about the Greek word. But these are Jews gathered by the Jordan River. These are Jews awaiting that day when Elijah would come and the kingdom would arrive. And these Jews understand that repentance isn't just a mental thing. It's a change of heart that results in a changed life. John the Baptist lays out two ways that evidence this repentance, that give uh, an indicator, evidence that repentance has taken place in someone's life. One has to do with sharing, the other has to do with acting justly. True biblical repentance is the kind that bears fruit, fruit that you can see. And what you should see is a changed life, one that acts the way Jesus would act if Jesus were living that person's life. Luke chapter 3, verse 11. John replied to the question, what should we do? John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Jesus, by the way, will say the same things, that a right relationship with God results in sharing to meet the needs of others. It's what Jesus calls love for neighbor. So one fruit, one evidence of repentance is sharing, and at times, sharing sacrificially. In Luke chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, John the Baptist tells us about this second fruit of repentance. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? John replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Tax collectors were despised by the Jews because they were often fellow Jews who got rich off collecting more than what Rome required and they pocketed the extra. Zacchaeus from Jericho was notorious for how rich he was and how uh, he acquired his wealth. Soldiers, likewise, were despised because they would extort and threaten people for protection money, kind of like the Italian mob did back in the day. Hey, you want to run your restaurant here? Vinny and I will protect you, right, Vinny? Pony up the money. We'll protect you. Soldiers were despised because they would extort and threaten people for protection money, and if, they, and if the people didn't hand over that protection money, these soldiers would make false accusations that would result in those people being wrongly imprisoned or even killed. So a second fruit of repentance is that you are treating others justly. In other words, you're not abusing the power or the authority that you have. When God's kingdom arrives, people will share sacrificially and treat others justly. In other words, the way God wants us to live and live with one another will be the way things are. 
So the kingdom of God then is anywhere God rules, anywhere God is trusted and obeyed as the good and rightful king that he is. But let's be honest, just, just as it was like in John the Baptist's day, most people now in 2020 aren't really ready to be as generous or as just as God wants them to be. So let me ask a couple of questions. In what ways do you find yourself repentant and ready for God's kingdom? In what ways do you find yourself repentant and ready for God's kingdom? And then, in what ways do you find yourself still held back? In other words, are there areas of your life that are just off limits for God? Oh, Jesus, don't go in that room. Don't talk to me about that relationship. This issue right here, that's off limits to you, Lord. I'm not talking about it. I'm not looking at it. I'm not addressing it. In light of what we learn here about the kingdom of God, let me offer some practical things that you and I can do to take this home. First and foremost, the litmus test, the measuring stick for faith isn't right beliefs, but obedience. All throughout the pages of the Old Testament, will Adam and Eve trust God or will they try and make their own way? Will Abraham trust God or will he try and make his own way? Will the Hebrews who've just been freed from slavery in Egypt trust God or will they try and make their own way? The litmus test for faith is obedience. And then secondly, if we learn anything from John the Baptist preaching when he says, you've got to repent and ready yourselves, your heart must be ready for the arrival of God's kingdom. He says, evidence that you have a heart that's ready is indicated by your willingness to share and you're acting justly in your relationships. So let's unpack that for a little bit. I'm an American, I've been an American all my life. And you know what? Americans are among, among the most generous people in the world, on the one hand. On the other hand, Americans can go long periods of time and spend every single dollar, every single penny that comes into their hands on what they need or what they want. So this would be a really good time for you in the midst of this pandemic to do a financial audit. Of all the pennies and dollars that are coming into your hands, what's going out? What are you sharing to God's work? Sharing to the poor, sharing with others. Do you regularly spend 100% of what you get or what you have on you and yours? You know, over the past few weeks, my wife Jenny has been lending out her van. Her van happens to be the newest car that we own. That's because she has someone that she worked with whose car died. And this lady needs a way to get to work. And Jenny's working out of our basement right now. And it's been lent out a few weeks. In reality, she, this other lady, she needs a new car. So if you know, or a car that's new to her, she needs a car that works. But here's the thing. And, and I want to suggest this to you. 
If you get to a point in your life where you have family members and you have friends who are questioning your generosity because they think you're being too generous, that's when you're probably getting close to what John the Baptist and what Jesus have in mind. If all you're doing is what anybody would do, that's not compelling. People aren't won over to the kingdom of God because of regular generosity that anybody would do for anyone else. People are won over and want to get into what God's doing by radical generosity. So, how's your sharing working? And then secondly, as John the Baptist warns the people by the Jordan River, another second fruit of repentance is to act justly. It's it's the ways in which we refuse to abuse authority or power. And in the first world, in countries like the United States of America, it's stuff like not asking people to do or work more than is healthy. Come on, all across America for years now, we've got corporations and companies. And some of us are even telling people who are our direct reports, I need you to be on call 24-7. I need you to work. I need you to get this stuff done. And it pushes boundaries and, it, and it's not healthy and it's killing people. That's not just. Another way that this plays out in first world countries like the United States is not paying uh, in not paying some people the same amount of money for the same amount of work. In other words, you pay some people more and some people less for the same work. In church, it's not taking advantage of volunteers. I knew of a church way back in the 1990s in Greater Lexington, and they would have their volunteers come out Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday. I mean, boom, boom, boom. These people's kids lived at church. Go, go, go. Do, do, do for God. No, that's abusing authority and power. And lastly, another way in first world countries that this plays out is it, it, we refuse to abuse authority and power when we are not okay with the poor having no voice or say in things simply because they can't afford a seat at the table. In a nutshell, the kingdom of God looks like Jesus. The kingdom of God always looks like Jesus. So if you see something and think, wow, that reminds me of Jesus, you're probably seeing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place on the map. It's not a country. It's not a nation. It's not Israel. It's not America. And no, it's not the church. It's not a group of people. It's not Israelis. It's not Americans. It's not church people. The kingdom of God is where the way things are line up with the way God wants them to be. Anytime the way things are, are is the way things is the way God wants things to be, that's the kingdom of God. John the Baptist says to us to get ready to repent for the kingdom of God is near.